everybody, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of Winners and Winers Radio. I am your host, Scott Steen, a lead handicapper over at winnersandwiners.com. And I'm your co-host, Scott Reichel, senior handicapper over at winnersandwiners.com. And together we make up a Winners and Winers Radio. Give us an hour and we'll give you the winners. And we're going to do that here on today's show. We're going to talk a little bit about the Monday night game. Holy mackerel, hold on to your seats there. Uh, you end up okay on that one, Scott? It was okay. I mean, I had a play of the day on the Raiders' first half plus three and a half. Oh, that's unfortunate. Which was unfortunate because the Raiders did nothing for the entire first quarter mm-hmm. and yet still had a shot to win it at the end, even though the ball went through Waller's hands. Tough catch, but they made a couple of end zone shots in the final 30 seconds. However, I did mention in that video, I also thought the Raiders might just win the game outright. I had money on the Raiders to win it outright, so I personally did okay. I basically broke even on the game. You? Good. Uh, clean sweep for me, buddy. That was a big night. Had uh, both quarterbacks over in yardage. Had Darren Waller over in yardage. Uh, had a uh, had the over fifty. Had the Raiders on the money line at plus one sixty five, and took a live play at uh, over forty three and a half. Other other than that, not we're not very good. Cool. So yeah, big. It was a uh, and it looked it looked grim there on all of those about about halftime. So I was I was sweating every single one of those plays. That all worked out in the end. Big second half, and of course, we're going to get to every game on the board. We're going to give our first impressions as we see the opening lines and talk about value and where that may go. And just a word of caution, guys, this is just our initial impressions of the lines. It may change later in the week as uh, injury situations are updated and line movements, things like that. So don't if we... If we give you a, if we give you our impression today and then come back with another impression on our later NFL show, don't be roasting us because it's entirely possible that's going to happen. Scott? Well, plus if we like a number, let's just say minus three and a half. Right. And it goes to six and a half. <laughs> exactly. And if we flip flop, it's yep. clearly not the same situation as it was before. Yep. Absolutely correct. Because a lot of these times, and, that, and that's the nice thing about going through them early. And I kind of feel like we owe that to our listeners is to go through them early and give everybody a shot because we've talked before, Scott, especially in the NFL, if you're betting all your numbers at closing line, you are not going to be a profitable sports better. It is literally not possible. Uh, it's definitely not easy, I'll tell you that much. But I do think that if you want to jump the gun early on some NFL games, I know I do that in college all the time. If I like a line early, I'll bet it on Wednesday and the game is going to be on Saturday. Right. Same thing with the NFL. If you think a line is going to move a lot, then – Get in early before it moves. Yeah, you if you have to have confidence in your handicapping ability that you know which way that line is going to go, and you got to have a feel for it. You got to have a feel where the value is, and make sure that you're in front of the crowd. And that's definitely the place to be. It's all about beating uh, the closing line or picking up CLV. You'll hear you, Scott and I talk about that all the time, and that is the key to this business. So, uh, without further ado, because we got a lot to get to, so let's take a look and see. Who maybe didn't have the day that we had, Scott, and maybe it didn't go as well. They had it. It was right there, and then they lost it in the lights. They end up getting that game robbed. All you can do, man, is call the cops. All right, Scott, let's kick it off, shall we? We're going to take a look first in the major, oh, excuse me, at the NFL. Little game between the Baltimore Ravens and the Las Vegas Raiders. Perhaps you watched it if you had the under 50 and a half. Man, First half was the place you wanted to be. It was 7 nothing after the first quarter. 
It was 17-10 after the third quarter. You're pretty golden there. You've just got to avoid 24 points. And you did. You avoided 24 points, but they put up 27 in the fourth quarter. And of course, by that time, it was all over for you. That game ends up 33-27, but you've already been mad by that time and thrown something at the TV. You should have just called the cops instead. Honorable mention for the Ravens' money line in there. You're up basically the entire game. Tucker makes the kick with about 30 seconds to go or so. You let the Raiders complete two passes for about 40-something yards in the span of 10 seconds. Brutal. Really? 20, uh, 30, 37 seconds, no timeouts. Yeah, definitely a terrible defense there on the final drive, but, you know, is what it is. Anyway, in my opinion, this player prop is the worst beat of the entire night. I'd probably agree. And I got to mention it, Brian Edwards. Now, some of you might be wondering who. The answer is the Raiders receiver who seemed to not exist for the first three quarters. And that's because, for the sake of betting, he did not exist for the first three quarters. And even more so, because the under three and a half receptions for Edwards looked really good because he had zero receptions through the first 59 minutes and 23 seconds of the game. (laughs) Then a final drive has two pretty big catches sets up Carlson for about the 55 yarder. He makes the kick and then you got overtime and yes, overtime also applies to to player props. They don't call it undertime. They don't call it Brian Edwards undertime. They don't. And Edwards had two more catches in overtime to finish with four. So you lost an under three and a half to a guy who had no receptions with a minute left in the fourth quarter. And he ended up with four. It's almost impossible. Just absolutely brutal. That's right up there with the San Francisco 49ers game yesterday. I'm sure Sunday. a lot of people don't even realize that was the number for Edwards or didn't think of that, but that's right. where we come in because I was keeping tabs on Edwards for pretty much the entire night. And yeah, he went over uh, in overtime. Well, he was one of those, he was one of those training camp heroes that you heard a lot about and he was going to be part of the offense, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, none of that happened there in the, uh, well, pretty much for the entire game. Yep. <laughs> so, pretty much. All right, Scott, and we'll finish it up with the game there. <laughs> My goodness. Talk about a snake bit team. It's the Twins and Yankees. Wonder what happened. If you had the Twins plus 165, first of all, congratulations, because you must think Lucy's going to hold that football every single time that Charlie Brown makes a run at it. And you looked really good. You looked really good. It was 5 nothing after the top of the fifth, or after the top of the uh, sixth, rather. Minnesota's up. And um, New York, they whittle away just a little bit. It's up; They're up 5-2 in the 8th. Here come the judge, Scott. He launched a three-run bibbidi-bomb against one of your all-time favorite relievers in Colomay. Yankees, well, you know what? It's the Yankees and the Twins. They're only going to do what they do. Yankees win 6-5 in extra innings. You had the Twins money line plus 165. What are you doing? Call the cops. The way that I'm looking at it is that the Yankees could have the roster of an average AAA team, and they would still find a way to beat Minnesota. I'm not really sure what it is, but the Yankees are just the ultimate boogeyman for the Twins besides eh, pretty much the playoffs in general. Yeah, absolutely correct. So that was a uh, some brutal cops right there, but let's take a look. Let's see the other side of the coin, the happy, shining side of the coin, Scott. These are the people that had the nice, easy victories. Never a doubt, as you were sitting in the rocking chair. 
So the first one was actually pretty close to our hearts because we had it on this show. It was the Astros minus one and a half against Texas. We said Spencer Howard stunk and he was really, really bad. He gave up three runs in the first. Then Houston scored four more in the second, two more in the third. Rangers only scored one run, but the Astros said since there's no mercy rule, might as well score 15. So they ended up winning 15 to one. Uh, every every uh, bet the farm play should be in this segment, Scott. It should be. Speaking of nice, easy winners, how about that Miami-Washington uh, Nationals under eight? Uh, Marlins scored one in the first. They scored two in the ninth, and that was it, Scott. That game ends up three-zip in favor of the Marlins. Sandy Alcantara doing it one more time. He has made 21 starts since May the 14th, Scott. The over is hit twice. He's a pretty good pitcher being wasted as we speak. <sighs> yeah, But looking at the last one, if you had the Cardinals on the money line against the Mets. I did. Thank they, you. They led a three to nothing after five innings. Ended up winning seven to nothing. So the Mets, the offense exploded against the Yankees. Looked really good. Then they faced the Cardinals and the entire team forgot how to hit again. Yep. Yep. Cardinals were, uh, Cardinals were up three nothing going into the ninth. Mets said, okay, guys, we need a big ninth inning here. They just forgot to specify for which team, as the Cardinals uh, could have played it a lot more, left the bases loaded, and they ended up scoring four in the top of the ninth. Didn't need any of them. Didn't need any of those at all. So, all right, Scott. So with that being said, we're going to lay out a donkey of the day. Now, we could have done it yesterday, but we had a lot going on, a lot to catch up with the NFL. But now that the smoke is cleared, there's one donkey of the day that we definitely want to get to. And I, I believe... Maybe the first time we've made an entire conference donkey of the day, Scott? Well, we haven't had much, uh, many opportunities with college football, so I would assume yes. Okay, well, there you go, because, uh, yeah, let's just get to it. We're going we're gonna to have to send out multiple golden feedbacks, and everybody can strap them on as we award today's donkey of the day. Scott, you know I'm a big fan of the MAC, like the MAC conference. A little, little MAC in there. Midweek football coming up uh, into October, November. Very excited about watching these teams play. But they, my friend, did not have a good weekend at all. They go just three and nine on the day now. But how? But how'd they do against FBS teams? Mm, Scott. They didn't do well. They lost every game uh, against an FBS opponent. Now, some of them, they acquitted themselves quite well. Toledo's close loss there to Notre Dame when they gave the Fighting Irish every bit that they could handle and almost more. They lost that one by three. That's to be excused. Eastern Michigan loses to Wisconsin. Did not, didn't, didn't cover, though, right? That was only like 20, 22? Uh, they didn't score. Spread was 26. 26? Yeah, they didn't cover. That's right. That's right. And uh, Miami of Ohio acquitted themselves well against Minnesota. They beat the number, however they lost. And that, Scott, was pretty much the end of the good news for the MAC. They lost every other game. I will tell you, the three games they won was Western Michigan beating Illinois State, an FCS team. Bowling Green losing to South Alabama, Scott. Not a good look at all there. South Alabama really struggles. I don't know if this is the worst one or not. Akron losing to Temple by 21? Well, I believe there was another team in the MAC that played against an FCS team. How did Ohio do? Ooh, O-H-I-O. Oh, no, Scott. They got beat by Duquesne. 
<laughs> the Duquesne. I believe they were favored by 29. The Duquesne Dukes put them away 28 26. The Ohio Bobcats off to an 0 2 start. Not ideal at all. Um, yeah, not good. Uh, Northern Illinois loses to Wyoming. You know, every victory they had was over an FCS team, like I said. Just a horrible, horrible day for the entire MAC conference, with the uh, exception. I'll give Toledo a pass, and I'll give Miami of Ohio a pass, and that's you giving Ball State a pass or no? Ball State for their game against uh, they got buried by Penn State, but I mean they didn't cover, but still. Nope. If you didn't cover, you're dead to me. Fair enough. That's the but rules. either way. I thought about only giving this to Ohio, and then we we decided, you know, let's look at the MAC and how they do, and we realized, wow, the entire conference was awful over the weekend. Yeah, they 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 really were. They were they were not good at all. Central Michigan beat up on Robert Morris, so I guess that's probably so just to go so just highlight. to go through the numbers once again on the MAC. The MAC went three and nine overall. Yep, they went zero and eight against FBS teams. Yes, and they went three and one against FCS teams. Yes, congratulations. That's not good. That is. That is not good at all, and losing to a that was, couple. That was straight up, teams. by the way. We didn't even mean the ATS. Oh they no, zero and eight straight up against FBS teams. No, we were we were too depressed for the MAC to even talk about the lines for the most part. So, yep, not good. I love the MAC. You think this Central Michigan team might be decent, Scott, or is Mizzou just terrible? Because you know they played uh, they played Mizzou tight, and then they you know they rolled last weekend. Well, I didn't watch Missouri play against Kentucky. That game was close. I think Kentucky's an okay team. I think they're a little bit overrated in the SEC. But Central Michigan seems to be a team that's always middle of the pack for me. I know they play Toledo in the next couple of weeks. We'll see what happens there. But I think that's an okay team. I kind of group Central Michigan kind of in the same area as Kent State mm-hmm. or like Western Michigan. Yep. Or I think you're going to be competitive. I think you'll win some conference games. You'll finish over 500, go to a bowl game. But I don't really think you have a shot to win the conference. No, no. Do you feel I, the same way? Yeah, for the most part, I'm going to have to see a lot more. And I've that that Missouri game was deceptively close in score for the way it was actually played. Mizzou really. I'm also wasn't curious what the game. lookhead was for Missouri with Kentucky on deck, but that's a separate story. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Although it's you know it was opening day, so hopefully yeah. you'd you'd be able to focus. And, and they played a dreadful game against Central Michigan there. So, all right, buddy. A quick reminder to everybody out there that you are listening to Winners and Winers Radio. Give us an hour, and we'll give you the winners. All right, Scott. Well, we have to talk about it, and we we briefly discussed this game earlier, but we're going to flesh it out a little bit more. We're going to find out who was drinking, Scott, who was uh, who was chug-a-lugging out there as far as the odds makers go, because as always, there was a game where the odds makers were drunk. Take it away, sir. So for this one, we're going to be going back to the rocking chair, and we mentioned in baseball. You had the Cardinals' money line against the Mets. And the issue there, the price on the Mets was a little bit fishy or, quite frankly, stupid. Yeah. Uh, the Mets opened up as minus 117 favorites against the Cardinals. Now, it is worth mentioning, both teams are competing for the wild card spot. So it's not like this game meant, quote unquote, more to one team than the other. The pitching matchup, definitely in favor of the Cardinals because you had a Rich Hill on the mound for the Mets and Adam Wainwright who is, I don't even know what to describe it, the Tom Brady 45-year-old guy who never seems to age yeah. in Major League Baseball. He's just flat dealing, Scott. He's been really good this year, and it seems like he's Benjamin Button at this point. But anyway, the Mets, in addition to having the worst starting pitcher in this matchup, also had a very, very compromised bullpen 
because you might remember those two back-to-back war games they had against the Yankees during the weekend series. And they had to travel. Yes, including the Sunday night matchup there. Right. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean travel? They had to. uh, Oh, was that? Oh, that game was in New York. I'm sorry. They were right. I thought it was in St. Louis. That's right. It was. No, but anyway, the point is, is that the Mets used basically their entire bullpen in the Sunday night game. Yep. As well as the Saturday game. And they were absolutely cooked. And Rich Hill never goes more than five. So the Mets were really compromised, and yet the odds makers had them favored. Now, the, I'll give the betters credit because the betters absolutely slammed St. Louis, and St. Louis closed as a favorite. Yep. But you have a pitcher who goes no length, and you have a very, very tired bullpen. How are the Mets favored in this game? It made no sense to me, Scott. That's why I made it one of my premium plays for my subscribers, and we got it. When I first started cap at the game, it was plus 110. By the time that I actually sent the pick, it was plus 100. And, of course, by game time, it was, like I said, it was uh, the Cardinals were well favored there. But it made no sense to me. That that line was, the you know, it's it's one of those that seems so weird you wonder about it being a trap. You know what I'm saying? I feel you. Uh, I feel it like wasn't. it might be part of the New York tax with the other team. Right. Maybe because the Mets won against the Yankees on Sunday night, and people were going, you know, this Mets team. Kind of frisky. Yeah. And then you realize, nah, they, the Yankees might just be bad. Yeah, and that's certainly possible. Um, Yankees had a nice win there today, a game they really needed. They really needed it. They also fell behind 5 nothing against Minnesota, but, you know, we'll believe, see what happens over the next few days. I believe I believe we mentioned that. I was just, Yes, we did. I was just seeing, uh, yeah, Wainwright, he's just a beast. He, he, only, he only went six innings last night. He only it's went. only needed to go. I know he, but he'd been averaging he'd been averaging like seven seven point one innings per start over his last uh, thirteen starts. He's just been he's well, been a monster. The thing about Ma- the thing about Wainwright is he threw a Maddox a couple of I think a month ago or so, but it's really just his command. The guy just throws a bunch of strikes. Yeah, yeah. He that's exact that's exactly what he does. He just pours he just pours the strikes in there. And uh, I was I was happy he threw uh, and you know he was he was a little wild last night. He he was. Uh, he walked three guys. He just threw 58 of 103 pitches for strikes, which is not ideal at all, obviously under 60%. But you know what? He made it work, and the Mets uh, hitters really helped out there as well. I also, so. sorry to interrupt, want to give a quick shout-out to Wainwright for one of the quotes he made post game. I don't know if you actually heard this quote or not. So Wainwright in the first inning had to deal with the bases loaded, and he had Jeff McNeil up at the plate. He struck him out on a curveball. Anyway... They asked Wainwright about that pitch and that at bat in the first inning. And he said after the game, quote, I like nostalgia and I felt Mets fans in a bases loaded situation wanted to see me throw two curveballs and a changeup. I gave the people what they wanted. Now, if you don't remember the playoffs back in, uh, I believe it was 2007, Wainwright struck out Carlos Beltran with the bases loaded to end the NLCS in game seven. Wow, that's a that's quite a throwback. Now, do you do you actually remember that game when you were ten? I actually do remember that. I remember Aaron Heilman giving up the home run to Yachty in the ninth. I had I had I had three I had three days uh, lunch money on it versus two so other kids two days lunch money. People actually remember that game for one other play. It was the Andy Chavez robbed home run game. Oh, okay. It's just, that, that's the play that people remember, but people don't forget Bel- Mets fans especially don't forget Beltran leaving the bat on his shoulder on that curveball from Wainwright. Knee buckler it was. Yep. 
All right, very I, good. I just found that quote amusing to me. That was pretty funny. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice little, nice, nice little throwback Monday there. Yep. All this, and he's got jokes, folks. What else do you want? Seriously. So, what do we make of this game, Scott? What a what a bookend. That was a couple. That was a couple of bookends for the NFL weekend, wasn't it? You had the you had the Tampa Bay game on Thursday, and then you had that Raiders game last night on Monday night to close out the week. Was that a better game than Tampa Bay? No. No? See, it really depends on what you look for when it comes to games. Because if you wanted complete unpredictability, then this Monday night game was the game for you. And that's the game you'd pick. Because both teams really seemed to not want to win the game over the last four minutes of the fourth quarter and overtime. Because the Raiders with the false start and the interception and then Lamar fumbles about five plays later and the whole thing was just an absolute circus but that's where the Tampa Dallas game I feel like was different because it didn't really involve any team screwing up it was just teams were making plays back and forth and Brady got the ball last and he won so I had a great time watching the Raiders game I thought it was hilarious for Mm -hmm. the last about I don't know 10 minutes of actual time but in terms of what was the better game I'm picking Tampa Bay and I'm picking Dallas because that game was just full of guys making plays. And I felt like both quarterbacks for Baltimore and Las Vegas were really good in the second half. First half, I don't know. I feel like there were a little bit of quiet moments in the game where that was just not the case in the Tampa-Dallas game. Yeah, there there was definitely in the first quarter especially. Well, when the Raiders drove and then came up dry there and that was just just brutal so you saw a lot more competent football i think on thursday yeah so you saw some decent defense though on that monday night game for a for a little while anyway were you surprised at the raiders pass rush that they were able to get to lamar i would say no because when you say got to lamar it's also a bit of selective recall because crosby had a couple of sacks and you had the strip sack by nasib to win the game Other than that, I mean, I thought Lamar looked pretty comfortable for the majority of the night. The Raiders really didn't blitz that much. They were running zone the majority of the game because they were basically daring Baltimore's receiving core, whatever you even want to call it, because it's not very good. They were just daring them to get open. And Lamar, I thought, had moments where he found uh, Hollywood Brown over the middle for a couple of big games for the most part. He had the one over-the-shoulder pass to Sammy Watkins, which set up a touchdown. Did he really do anything else with his arm for the entire game? Because I remember about three plays where he made good throws. The rest just seemed like checkdowns to running back well, and to tight ends. He hit Waller for about 30 on that crossing pattern. And they got no, caught, I was talking caught. about Lamar Jackson. Oh, no. No, Lamar. I remember three throws. Yeah, two to Brown and you had one to Watkins. That was basically yeah, it. That's basically that's the. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything he threw downfield. Yeah, nothing's coming to me. I'm probably that's missing all I something. Got. Now Carr tried to throw downfield. He failed about ninety percent of the time. But there were a couple of deep crossing patterns where he connected. Truth is, he was brutal in the first half, and that's probably why I lost my first half bet because Waller was wide open for in one-on-one coverage for the majority of the game, and then. Carr finally connected a couple of times late in the first half and in the second half, which led to the touchdown. But yeah, truth is the best pass that I thought of the night was kind of an easy pass. It wasn't even the overtime pass. It was the lob throw to rugs on the final, uh, on that uh, touchdown drive. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe rugs actually caught one. No, I, number one, I couldn't believe he was still in there because last time we saw him, he was 
grabbing his calf and link and limping off. But you know, I'm going to tell you. Obviously, being a Kansas City Chiefs fan, we would rather have Mahomes than anybody else. But he, he does little things, Scott. I'll give you, and I'll give you a great example. Late in the game, there when Carr took that sack, there is no way Mahomes takes that sack and doesn't throw it out of bounds. Yeah. And, and that cost them 18 yards. They go from second and 10 to second and 28. Now, plus, I also wasn't, I didn't really see replays of it, but I know that people on Twitter at the game were really complaining about Carr in the first quarter and first half, just completely ignoring a wide open rugs downfield. And I know one play Waller was wide open up the seam and he didn't throw him the ball. The main issue I have with Carr, besides the occasional sack taking, which is a bit of Kirk Cousins syndrome, Mm -hmm. he really is just afraid to pull the trigger on some one-on-one shots on the outside. Right. But he's willing to throw into double coverage to Waller over the middle. I I just feel like he needs to pick his shots a little bit better. But I said going into the game yesterday, and I said on air, I think Derek Carr's a competent quarterback. He struggled for me personally in the first, I'd say, 20 minutes before the two touchdown drives at the end of the first half. But he was very good in the second half. Yeah, I, to- I totally agree. You know, it's yeah. I don't think the the Raiders receivers are terrible. I don't think they're very good. You know, I I just I'm, I like Hunter Renfro a lot. Right, it's basically it. Well, he's he's well, he's basically Wes Welker two dot Yeah, I'm saying I just like him. Rugs, I'm not a fan of because I assume he's going to be injured in about a week and a half. Uh, but I think he's meh. I think he's a bust. You could have gotten so many better guys. Edwards was very good down the stretch, but. If you're one, if your number one receiver, your number two receiver in Rugs and Edwards do nothing for about the first three and a half quarters, you have a bit of a problem with your receiving core. Yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, eight guys ended up catching passes. It, cer- it certainly didn't seem that way, but that's the way it worked out. Well, so. A couple running backs and fullbacks thrown. I understand that, but you know they, they you know they they they. they well, they they throw three passes to Ingle or four passes to Ingle of all things. So mm. you know that's it's not quite captain checkdown for me. But when you're talking about mentioning Derek Carr as a top five quarterback, no, no, I think he's I think he's slightly above average. He's slightly he's about he's he's somewhere between ten and fifteen. Yeah, I would I was gonna say thirteen to fifteen. I think that's where I'd put him. But I I, I acknowledge besides Waller. I'm not a fan of any weapon they have over there. Of course, they were supposed to get him Antonio Brown, and that fell apart about a couple a couple of years ago. But you know what I'm trying to say. The point right. is that the talent is just not there on the receiving core long term. Yep, agreed. Uh, I thought they used. I thought they did utilize Kenyon Drake fairly well out of the backfield because he picked up. Five, I am five curious catches. if they used them well or if Jacobs had to keep coming out of the game, so they kept having to sub him in. Well, you know that's. Uh, you know, I want to like Jacob so much, but he just, he seems a little brittle, Scott. He's a, he's all, he's always hurt. If you do fantasy football, you know that. But Jacobs is not really confused me because it was kind of like rugs where he was going to the lock. He was like limping on the sidelines and he weren't sure if he was going to come back, except Jacobs did it basically after every single drive. Right. And then he had two touchdowns. And it's like, I thought you were just injured. But, you know, he played well in the end. The offensive line for the Raiders was... Definitely a work in progress. Let's put it that way. But people are going to overreact to the Raiders because they won a game against Baltimore. We both like the Raiders to win this game. Yep. I don't think the Raiders are very good. And I don't think Baltimore is very good. And Baltimore is not their fault because 
They lost a couple of key pieces before the season even started. Right. They lost. A, they lost a couple of key pieces on defense, and then of course the running back catastrophe that happened. Well, Williams was good, but that's the main issue I have with that game for the Raiders receiving core because you have a backup back. You basically have a third string corner in the game because Humphrey got injured midway through. Of course, he stayed in the game, but he was out for a couple snaps. Did Williams get hurt? Did did who? Did Williams end up getting hurt? I believe they just switched over to Murray for a decent portion. Why, of the fourth why do you get a guy that's run the ball nine times for 63 yards? Why do you put in Latavius Murray, somebody they picked up, what, two days ago? Well, I know Murray had the touchdown uh, in the fourth quarter, and I believe they just liked the way he was running, maybe for the experience. I'm not really sure, yeah. but I thought Williams actually looked pretty good. Yeah. Either way, the point that I was trying to say was that if Marcus Peters is out, and you're relying on some random guy who's not supposed to really play that much, the top two receivers on your team can't get a reception for three quarters. Like, really? Yep. Agreed. That was my main takeaway, but the Raiders pulled it off. Good for them. We thought they would. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, to- I totally agree. Every, every time you look up, they're throwing at Marlon Humphrey. Like, why don't you throw at the other side where they've, where they've got the, uh, the guy that's replacing Peters in there? And they tried to that at the end because uh, Edwards caught the pass, which was originally ruled the touchdown, was not ruled the touchdown, but they eventually realized, wait a second, what if we throw it to the other guy? Right, you got, a- like, you got took a- you three quarters to realize that? Averett over there and everything. I, I didn't I didn't understand that. Like I, Marlon Humphrey makes another play. Like, why? Well, Payne, uh, Payne and Eli were talking about that for the entire game. I don't know if you ended up watching that broadcast. No, I was uh, doing other stuff. I was working and talking to the wife and... Stuff. Oh, either way, I actually watched it. I thought Peyton and Eli did a good job. I, you know, I would have. I, I watched it. I didn't listen to it. So I, I will definitely do that next time. Hey, drop us a comment if you guys are watching on YouTube. Let us know what you thought of Peyton and Eli because I did kind of feel bad about not getting to watch that. So you guys stay tuned. Second half of the show coming up. We're going to break down all the look-ahead lines in the NFL. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. So, Scott, last time we were out in Vegas, every time we were trying to have a nice meal, what is the number one question you kept hearing whenever we were at dinner? Are you going to finish that? What? Appetizers, entrees, sides. You're always asking if I was going to finish what I was eating. Okay. Hey, in my defense, you eat slower than a turtle on Xanax. But, okay, let me make the question a little easier. What's the number one question you would get from people when you tell them you work for Winners and Winers? What's Winners and Winers? Exactly. So what do you tell them? I tell them that it is the place to go for your sports betting needs. They have breakdowns on every single game in a variety of sports, basketball, football, college football. We know that's coming up. It's been really a great opportunity to just get better at sports betting, and they give you all the opinions that you need. Yeah, see, and the thing I like about it is the fact that they don't just inundate you with numbers that have no context. You know, you go to some places and they just throw numbers, numbers, numbers. But they don't tell you what they mean, and you just kind of your eyes glaze over. But these guys, not only do they use those same numbers and put them in context, but they're fantastic writers. They're great handicappers. You mentioned college football coming up. That's my favorite time to use winners and winners because they do every FBS game every single week. It is a fantastic site. Scott, what's the best part about winners and winners? It's absolutely free to use. That's right. It is absolutely free to use. Winners and winners. Dot com. You absolutely have to check it out. You need to make this site part of your daily handicapping regimen. If you are not doing it, you are absolutely leaving money on the table. So, see, that wasn't that hard at all, right? Sure. You're still getting none of my fries. What? I, I didn't. I didn't say a word. I saw you looking at them. 
Seriously, dude, it's it's been like an hour. If you're not going to eat them, oh man, that's brutal. All right, fine. Seriously though, winnersandwiners.com. Go there or be square. Radio, give us an hour and we'll give you the winners. Scott, we're going to talk about the NFL opening lines. But before we do that, there's something that we wanted to talk about that we uh, haven't been able to get to yet, and that is the big news in college football over the weekend. It's pretty much they uh, they made it official. Um, it's if you, if it was if this was an engagement video, it'd be where they she said yes, as the Big Twelve expansion is now going to be official. BYU, Cincinnati. Central Florida and Houston will be joining uh, because BYU is an independent. They don't uh, have any kind of conference encumbrance to get rid of. They're going to start playing the 2023 season, and the other two will start play no later than 2024. Scott, what do you think? I think that the Big 12 had to come up with something, and I believe we predicted about half of this about, I don't know, a month and a half ago. Or so. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. I didn't. I didn't know they take four. I. I. We. We talked about maybe they would just take two, just to replace Oklahoma and Texas. But they ended up going. You know what? Let's. Uh, surely four schools is worth those two. I mean, what's the point of being called the Big Twelve if you don't have like fourteen to twenty schools in there? Right. Don't even get me started. How many are in the Big Ten? Is it eleven still? It's more than ten. Is it, or, that much. Or, did, or did Rutgers make it 12? Because Penn State made it 11. I, be, I believe Rutgers made it 12. I think you're right, because Penn State made it 11, right? Yeah, okay. but because you have, I'm trying to think, you have six in each uh, division in the conference. Math checks out there, buddy. But anyway, the one that really surprised me, overall didn't surprise me, but the one that surprised me was BYU. Yeah. Mostly because of the fact that you're going with the religious angle and you're not exactly going to be improving your recruiting because you're targeting... Well, to be honest, Mormons. I, I don't really know who else you're targeting at BYU. Are you targeting other people of other religions there? I'm not aware. Do non-Mormons play for BYU, Scott? I would assume no, but I have no idea. Well, I mean... Or if there are, it's a very, very small minority. Well, because you know, the Big 12 already has uh, two religious schools in there. They have We have Baylor, which is a private Christian college, mm-hmm. a private Baptist college, and then they have... Of course, uh, Texas Christian, not surprisingly, a private Christian college as well. So The question I'm asking, do you think a Jewish person ever went to Notre Dame? Yes, of course. On the, you think he played on the football team? Yes. Really? You think a Jewish person played the football team Absol- in Notre Dame? Absolutely. Okay. I, I don't know, but the point is, is that BYU, especially just Mormon colleges, seem to be very, very passionate about trying to keep the faith yeah that's a whole with the with the with the we have to do your mission and everything that's a whole Mm -hmm. different setup but i i would agree if if there's any place that doesn't allow cross-pollinization of religion i would i would think it would be byu so that's why i was kind of surprised by it i could be completely just misinformed and maybe they do end up taking catholics and taking other religions i don't really know how you'd get along with people but anyway I just feel like if you're going to make the jump, it's for money and you're trying to help out your recruiting. But if BYU is only targeting people of a specific uh, just religion, if that's the case, right? then I don't really know what the upside is there when it comes to facing off against better competition. Money, 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 money. That's money. But I'm, I'm money. just saying, do you think... I don't think BYU is going to implode like Rutgers did trying to join the Big Ten. No. But as an independent, 
BYU's done pretty well for itself. They have, but they're they're not but they're not getting that network TV money, Scott. They don't get the Big Twelve deal. There there really should be an independent uh you know network. Who do you want to see? Always. Notre Dame's got their own deal. So now who do you want to see? I'm fading New Mexico State every week. I might as well watch them play, right? <laughs> I didn't fade them last week though, because I I actually thought they'd cover against New Mexico. But oh, that's right. The battle. The ba- You're telling me you don't want to see UMass play every week in well, football? Yeah, I'm I'm all about that. That UMass. That's a dream. <laughs> I'd love to watch UMass play football. So we've got UMass, UConn, Army, BYU, Notre Dame. I feel like I'm missing one more. I think I thought there was six. Point is the point is that if you're trying to talk about BYU being competitive as an independent, they are, and that's why they're ranked. I am curious if they're not getting these recruits that they might be. I say have a better shot at if they weren't only focusing on the religious angle. I'm curious if they're going to play as a mediocre Big Twelve team, a bad Big Twelve team, or how that's going to work out. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's a recruiting play. I think Scott, they look at the playoffs. And, and realize that they have almost no chance. Okay, that's that's a fair point. Too. Of qualifying for the playoffs the way it currently sets up right now. And by joining the Big 12, they immediately have that cachet. Plus money, which is obvious. Oh, so, sure. No, yeah. no, no question, no question about it. So. I was kind of trying to play devil's advocate there. And also kind of ironic I mentioned that with the religious conversation, but still, I just find it an interesting move, but I can understand why each and every team did it. Now, it could be a crowded house for a season, Scott, because Oklahoma and uh, Texas are going to 2025, right? I believe it's either 2024 or 2025. I think you may have one crowded season as they all four join up before Texas and Oklahoma leaves. I think that I think that'll be a lot of fun to watch. You know, Houston's still salty about the whole Southwest Conference thing where, you know, the Big 12... In extended invitations to four of them and did not extend invitations to the other four. So I heard SMU was pretty upset about that too. A little salty as far as the Mustangs go. Yeah, absolutely. So Houston, I guarantee you they, and, and Texas won't play them. So yeah. I guarantee you they would love to match up there for a, uh, for a season with the Longhorns. Mm. How bad are the Longhorns going to be in the SEC, Scott? Uh, well, they're not winning any titles now. So they weren't off to, they aren't off to a great start as far as their SEC action, are they? I'm trying to think of where Texas can really improve because I don't know if it's the conference you're in. I think the issue is that you play in Texas, which of course has a very, very solid recruiting background. And no matter who your head coaches are, your star recruits of the state at a high school are going to Bama and Georgia and to all these other teams that actually win national championships. Well, not really Georgia in that case, but you know what I mean? Teams that are constantly in the top five, right? Texas, if you're going to keep losing guys in your own state who are usually going to be really, really good college football players, you got yourself a problem. Yeah, agree. I don't think Texas has the same luster that it once had with Mac Brown, where you lose Vince Young, you lose a guy. That's okay. We got Colt McCoy or these other really good Texas or local prospects right. who can fill the void. And since Texas isn't one of the main destinations anymore because Bama and Clemson basically started a monopoly. And Georgia, who recruits well, too. Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State, too. But the point is, you're just not getting the guys that you used to get, and you haven't managed to adapt. Yep. Absolutely true. You know, Texas really hasn't been relevant in 15 years. Uh, I remember they beat Notre Dame on some, like, Saturday night game in double overtime, and people were going, Texas is actually back this time. I think they had a losing record that year. They went, like, (laughs) 6-6 and or something. Right. But... 
it really all fell apart when I would say they hired Charlie Strong. Yeah, that was that was pretty much it. I agree. That, that started not a, not a fun decade for Texas. Started fans. started the carousel for sure. All right, buddy. Well, let's uh, take a look. We've got the opening lines in the NFL, and it's always a lot of fun because you know, like we talked about earlier, this is where you find a lot of the value. So we're going to give you our first thoughts as we go through here. And we'll just start in rotation order, Scott. Starting with the uh, well, let's start with it with the Thursday night game. That's it going to be a barn burner there between the Washington football team as they host the Giants. Uh, Washington football team three and a half point home favorites, and forty one is the total there. Scott, we've got no Ryan Ryan Fitzpatrick for half the season. Say hello to Taylor Heineke. How you feel about this one? Doesn't bother me. However, I do find interesting the Giants did go two and zero against Washington last year, but. I don't think Heineke's bad. People remember him in the playoff game against Tampa. I thought he looked pretty good. Against the Chargers, he completed about 70% of his passes. I thought he looked pretty sharp. I know they lost the game, but the defense is really good, and the Giants made Tay Bridgewater look like a Hall of Famer. So I'm not sold with the Giants' defense. Daniel Jones against this defense should be a problem. But at the end of the day, I think Heineke's good enough to not turn the ball over. And if that's the case, your defense will win you games. So I'll take Washington and also link to the under. I would agree. The Giants finishing with like 13 points really seems about right in I, this spot. I just don't see a lot of big strikes in this game from from, from either side. You know, the uh, Washington may get one with McLaren, getting McLaren loose or something. But Can I, the Giants pass protect in this situation? I doubt it. Well, we're, we're going to find out because if they can, then, you know, maybe they have a chance this season. But it, it didn't look good on Sunday. So we'll see. Uh, Houston Texans going in, uh, up to their uh, little place by the lake, Lake Erie, talking about Cleveland, Ohio. As the Salty Browns, this game opened up at 11, Scott. It's already 12.5 in favor of the Browns. 48 is the number. People looking for Cleveland to absolutely dominate this game. Are you feeling it? I feel like this line at first glance makes no sense just because of the overreaction from week one. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking Cleveland. Because this line, I feel like, is at the point where it's daring you to take the Texans because they beat an awful Jaguars team, and they're expecting the Texans to be terrible, which I'm sure a lot of everybody did, including us, before the season started. Yeah, I was just a lot lower on Jacksonville than you were, but I think Cleveland, who hung with one of the best teams in the league, going home, I think they're going to smack this team. You? Boy, I hate laying. I hate laying a gigantic number like that. But I hate it too. But I see seventeen point win. I think. Something like I think. That. Yeah, I think the Texans might have uh, won. Uh, maybe not their only game of the season, but probably the first, the only one for a while. Uh, they played the Jaguars again later in the season, right. so maybe they'll win too. Absolutely correct. Oh uh, yeah, I'll I'll lean Browns there. I don't think the Texans get much going offensively. I've got to lean under there as well. I found it surprising that Jacksonville didn't try to really run the ball against Houston's defense because that defensive line's not very good. That offensive line for Cleveland, even the defensive line, Cleveland's got to dominate in the trenches, don't you think? Yes. Yes, I do. That's a, that's just a dreadful offensive line. It really is. Um, yeah. Bengals, Bears. Bears, three-point home favorites. 45 is the number. So basically, odd makers are saying these teams are exactly even. Three points for the home field advantage. Do you agree with that assessment? The Bears and the Bengals equal? So I actually thought the Bears didn't play that badly against the Rams. The defense was awful. They moved the ball. I thought offensively they were okay. Having said that, going into the year, 
I said that I was going to fade Chicago every game Dalton started. I got to take Cincinnati. It's really just a matter of Cincinnati's defense might not be great. The offense looked really good. Burrow and Chase had a connection there, which was nice. T. Higgins got injured, so I'm kind of curious what his status is. Cincinnati money line. Okay, solid. Solid. Yeah, that's – and we've talked about that before. If you're going to take three points or less, don't do it. Just play the money line. I'll take the underdog with the better quarterback. I I got the over there too. Okay, fair enough. Uh, you know him, you love him. It's the Raiders heading up to the Steel City to take on Pittsburgh. Got one early line on this, and it's from DraftKings. It's the Steelers minus six. 49 is the total there. It's not a great matchup for really, uh, I'd argue either team, but I'll go with Pittsburgh. Uh, They're at home. Of course, Pittsburgh's useless whenever they try. They used to travel to Oakland, so they don't have to do that anymore. But I'll go with Pittsburgh here. You had an extra day off. You also beat Buffalo. You might be worried about a potential letdown spot, but I don't see it. Pittsburgh tends to start seasons off relatively well before fading down the stretch. They did a good job coming back. The issue I have was the Raiders' offensive line. Baltimore's defensive line was revamped, and they still gave Carr some problems. I can only imagine how many times T.J. Watts is going to be screaming around that edge. It's going to be uh, going to be a long night for Derek Carr, I suspect. Yeah, I think this is a... Uh... Just basically on the short week. It's a really bad spot for the Raiders. Yeah, I I probably wouldn't lean Pittsburgh. I don't like the number because I do think it's a little high because I'm not a big, big, I'm not a big Ben guy, but the Raiders going from Vegas to Pittsburgh on a short week playing outside. I just feel like it's a really bad spot for the Raiders. It's going to be, it's going to be a rough one for me if that number gets any taller than six. I got to be honest. I'm assuming it will. That's that's uh, what I'm Raiders yes. won, but I think we would agree Baltimore's compromise. Pittsburgh just beat Buffalo. Yep. So I'm assuming you're gonna see money on Pittsburgh. Agreed. Uh I, I have to play the under here. I, I'm 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 I agree. So loath to play an under with the Raiders, but I think the Pittsburgh defense probably does a number on them. I think it will. And we know Pittsburgh dinks and dunks the ball, which should eat it up clock. Bills headed the Dolphins. Bills three-point favorites. By the way, guys, quick reminder, you are listening to Winners and Winners Radio. Give us an hour, and we'll give you the winners, and that's what we're in the middle of doing right now. Uh, Bills three-point road favorites. Scott, 48-and-a-half. What do you got? I would slam Buffalo. I think Buffalo's going to kill this team. Okay. I I saw Buffalo play this team twice last year. They won both the last game. They won by about 90, and Miami was competing for a playoff spot. Buffalo, they lost the first game to Pittsburgh. We talked about it yesterday. They outplayed them. Miami ended up winning against New England because New England fumbled the ball in field goal range with about a minute and 50 to go. They probably should have lost the game. Now, Buffalo, we know, has Allen, who had a decent stat line in the end against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's defense, we know, is very good. I think Miami's defense is fine. It's just definitely a step down from Pittsburgh. Buffalo's more talented. I'll take the Bills. Okay. You? I have to. I have to. T- I have to take the better. T- I have to take the better team here in this spot. I would also tend to lean towards the under in this one. Yep, I agree. Rams, Colts, Rams, four and a half point. Uh, actually, four point in most spots. Road favorites, forty-seven and a half is the total. Uh, Rams all day or day against this Colts team. I can't back the Colts with what I've seen so far and during the offseason. The Rams. They looked really good. I know they're going to the road now, but 
Stafford's the better quarterback. They got the better receivers. They got the better defensive line. The offensive line, you can argue, is kind of a push because Quinn Nelson has the back issue now. I don't really know what area the Colts have an advantage in when some of their best players are severely compromised. Um, Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Next game is going to be... I like the under in that that, uh, game, by the way. Uh, I think 48 is too high. Give me a Rams team total over. Okay. I just think the Colts are going to struggle. 49ers headed to the city of brotherly love, Scott. They are a a three-and-a-half-point road favorite. 50 is the total against the Eagles there. Um, You know, you've got some injury problems all of a sudden for the San Francisco 49ers. They've lost Verrett. They've lost Mostert. Mostert. Eh, Looks like the same season they just had, isn't it? Uh, Kind of, except they actually won a game. Yeah. Yeah, they, they won the game, but they got yeah, two huge injuries. Does that play a role for you? I mean, I know it does. Does it play enough of a role? I actually think it does. Now, I mentioned that Atlanta was awful in yesterday's uh, uh, yesterday's radio show, but I just thought Philly looked very competent. I do like this spot a lot for Philly. You're going home. San Francisco travels from West Coast to East Coast. Uh, well, actually, they were in Detroit, so never mind. But the point is that they have another road game. They're extremely shorthanded. Well, they're still they went back they went back home. They're not flying from Detroit. Well, correct. But I'm saying they're they've already made the trip once to the rel. I mean, that's more Midwest, but you know what I'm trying to say. They've already traveled to some degree. Of course, it's harder to go from full west to east. But Philly, I thought, just looked very very good, and the defensive line was good. I thought the offense looked pretty sharp. I just can't get over San Francisco giving up 33 points to Detroit. I know some of it was prevent. Verrett's now out for the year. You got yourself some serious problems in that defense. I'm not quite ready to uh, make that proclamation yet. I like. I like I'm, I'm just going to take the points. I'll take. I'll go the other way. I'll take the Niners to cover. Okay. I was. Ta- I was taking too many favorites. I was switching it up a little bit. I got you. Yep. Uh, under. Denver by six at Jacksonville. Forty-five and a half. Jacksonville stinks. I'm taking Denver. I, I said early before the season started, I think Houston has a better record than Jacksonville by the end of the season. I think Urban Meyer is going to be a disaster. I thought this defense was going to be the worst defense in the league. Okay. Go ahead so and, far, go ahead so and, good. Go ahead and drink, by the way, if you're drinking every time Scott reminds us of that during the show. I have to because Jacksonville is an awful football team. Yeah, we get and new, I think we, Denver is good enough to win this game by at least a touchdown. We get new listeners every day, so you know there may be some that haven't heard that 17 times before. Do you know Teddy Bridgewater's numbers on the road when it comes to betting? Uh, they're very good. I believe he's failed to cover the line three times out of 25 games or so. Yeah, it's about like 22. Like he's, I'm, I'm going to pull up the exact numbers as we talk about this, but Bridgewater on the road has been historically insane like 20, against the numbers. 22 and three or something? I believe so. Okay. Let me just confirm right now. But All anyway, right. I'm, I'm going with Denver. I think they'll end up winning this game pretty handily. I'll play the under yeah, there. Only one Bridgewater game. is 22 and three. There you go. ATS. That's what I said. In, yeah. So I'm going to go with Denver. Patriots. Patri- uh, yeah, I've got, I've got Denver there too. I'll play, I'll play the under only one team scores in that one. Okay. Patriots. I like, I like the over in that one personally. Okay. Good enough. Uh, Patriots jets Patriots, uh, five and a half, six 43 is the number on this one. This is the, this is it, Scott. This is where the jets jump up. I know it opened up at three and a half like a day or two ago, and now it's up to five, five and a half. I'm taking New England. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. 
Not even close. Okay. Half the team's dead. All right, fair enough. They got more injuries to deal with. The defense is useless. The offensive line was awful against Carolina. New England was good enough with a rookie quarterback to beat a Miami team that we would agree is decent. The Jets lost to a Carolina team that we think is at ceiling a 500 team, yeah, which isn't team. even possible anymore, an but I'm going team. New England. I think they'll bury him. Okay. Yeah, Vikings at Cardinals. Cardinals, uh, three and a half point favorite. This one opened up at four and a half. It's, uh, well, it's still four and a half except for DraftKings. So DraftKings, you're drunk. Uh, Vikings in the 451 is the number there. I got to love Arizona here. How do you not? I don't I understand. Uh, maybe be some Viking money come in there. Maybe keep an eye on that number. Maybe it's a buy low spot, but Minnesota struggled against Cincinnati. Yeah. I know Cincinnati looked better, but the point is if Burrow's going to torch you, Kyler Murray is going to absolutely rip you to shreds. Falcons at Bucks, Scott. Uh, Bucks, 13 point favorites. 52 is the number. Bucks got surprised on Thursday by Dallas. Did they get surprised again by Atlanta here? Tampa by 30. Okay. I'm not even joking. Atlanta is one of the worst teams I've seen this entire year. Until you and show I, us you are not horrific, we're going to keep I have to remind you. everyone, I mentioned it during preseason about the lack of depth on this team. Tampa has the extra rest because they played on Thursday. The defense was awful against Dallas. Atlanta couldn't score a touchdown against Philly. If you can get 12 and a half, 12 and a half is available at a couple spots. Lock it up because this, this line ain't coming down. It's definitely not. I think Tampa's going to bury this team. It's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be thirteen and a half or fourteen by game time. I I said I thought I was coming in the last place. I thought they'd win like five games. I don't even know if they're gonna win five Do you games. mean this last defense place in, might be the worst defense in the league. Do you mean last place in the NFC? NFC uh, uh at the time, South. Yeah, I know. I'll tell you what, they might give uh the other teams at the bottom a run for their money because that team, Smith as a head coach, looked lost last Sunday. I think Tampa wins handily. Tennessee Titanics at Seattle. Seattle by five and a half. 54 is the number here. I like the over. I don't know how you don't play the over anything involving Tennessee right now. They're trying to get that number out of reach. Seattle by five. I like the Seahawks team. I That Seattle, that Tennessee defense is just next level, just horrific. So that's right. the thing is that I always have a hard time backing Seattle because in the past they were un- they were unstoppable at home. Then they've had a couple of hit or miss years at home. I just have an issue backing Wilson winning by margin because I'm just traumatized of every single game they play being a one possession game in the fourth quarter. I get that. I get that. But Seattle looked really good week one. Tennessee looked awful. Do you think Vrabel circles the wagons for week two or do you think that there's a huge storm brewing? Uh, I think he's going to try, but I I think this is just a bad matchup for them. I just we'll I, I I just don't like that defense at all. Cowboys at Chargers, uh, Chargers at home by three fifty four and a half is the number there. I'm taking the Chargers. Give me the boys on the road. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I don't like that defense at all. The Chargers defense, I think, is actually very good. Oh, it is. They stay healthy. Mm-hmm. I think you can make an argument. Dak is better than Herbert. Maybe it's closer than people think. I think Herbert's still really good. The Cow, I just can't get past that defense, which is just so bad. I know Zach Martin's supposed to be back, which should help the offensive line. But I do think that the Chargers will win the game. I expect it to be close. How many times do the Cowboys actually win close games? 
Not many. Not lately. as often as they should. Nope. All right. Finally, the Sunday night game: the Kansas City Chiefs at the Baltimore Ravens. Chiefs opened up two and a half point favorites. They are now three or four, depending on where you're looking. And the number on this game is fifty-five and a half. I know that it's early because it's Monday night. Bet mm-hmm. the Chiefs now. Just do it. They own this. They own Lamar Jackson, buddy. And they own Lamar's teams when his his teams are actually good. I don't think this Ravens team is very good. No, and they've got they've got some issues. I've, I don't. Uh, I think I I don't hate that spot for Baltimore, but the historical record that Andy Reid just is able to beat this team, and they, and they don't they don't beat them by a little. They beat them by a lot. They beat them early, and they beat them often. I got, said Monday night. I meant Sunday night. But yeah, the Chiefs kill this team every time. If we saw Derek Carr go for 435 passing yards and Waller was the main weapon, we knew that, and yet he still had a big game. You have Kelsey, you have Hill, you have Mahomes. They can't stop anybody. I think Kansas City is going to torch this team. I will be very surprised if they don't, Scott. I uh, I really will. So. Yep. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's do it. Let's take a look, and uh, you and I have taken an opportunity – to put our heads together, come up with our favorite plays of the day. Guys, it's time to climb up on that tractor, put on your overalls, and get ready to bet the farm. Scott, how did we end up doing yesterday? We were in the rocking chair because we had the Astros minus one and a half, and they won by 14 runs. Scott, that's enough of that. What do we got cooked up for today? So for the Bet the Farm player, we're going to be looking at baseball, looking at the Giants team total over four and a half at minus 110 on Bet MGM. The Giants have scored at least six runs in each of their last eight games. They've also won all those games, but the Padres have been pitching terribly lately. Padres have allowed at least five runs in four of their last five games as they continue to implode. Jake Arrieta is on the mound for the Padres. Road stats this season, 55 and one-third innings pitched, 6.99 ERA. Truth is, it doesn't matter where he pitches. He's terrible. But Arietta faced the Giants once this season, two innings, six earned runs, which is equivalent to an ERA of 27. Not good. So let me get this straight. You got the Giants who've scored six runs in each of the last eight. They're rolling against a pitching stat that's falling apart and arguably the worst starting pitcher in the entire league, and you're getting four and a half for an over at minus 110. Got to take it, buddy. Got to take it. Got to take it. All right, that's going to do it for our Bet the Farm play, and that's going to do it for the Tuesday edition of the show. We thank you guys for watching. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check us out tomorrow and really pretty much every day here on Winners and Winers Radio. You guys take care, everybody.